Apparently, mixed in with this were, were women who just would not keep silent. When I was a factory electrician, I came upon a scene of apparent chaos. The maintenance crew had a large machine taken all apart and scattered all over the place. The production manager, whose name was Chip, had been watching the organized bedlam, and I tapped him on the shoulder and asked him if he knew what chaos stood for. I'm glad he had a sense of humor, because I told him that it stands for Chip has arrived on scene. You know, a lot of times, what looks chaotic is really a smooth operation. But a church service should never look chaotic. Hello, and welcome to Verse by Verse, a Bible class of the air led by Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. We're studying 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 9 through 15, and our topic is women in worship. At the end of our last broadcast, Pastor Steve told about several women in the Bible who gave prophecies, but in each case it was outside the church service and it was an unusual event. Here's Pastor Steve to continue with an example that is probably familiar to you. Then there's another woman who taught, and that is uh, Priscilla, who is the wife of Aquila. In, in uh, Acts chapter 18, verse 24, we read this. Now, a certain Jew named Apollos, an Alexandrian by birth, an eloquent man, he came to Ephesus. He was mighty in the scriptures. I mean, he knew the word of God. He really knew the Old Testament scriptures. This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord. And being fervent in spirit, he was speaking and teaching accurately the things concerning Jesus, being acquainted only with the baptism of John. You understand what he's saying? Somehow, Apollos understood that the Messiah was coming. He knew that John was in Judea preaching that the, make way for the Lord, prepare the way for the Lord, repent, get ready, get everything set up. The Lord is coming. And somehow he lost contact with John after this. So all he knew was John's baptism of repentance. He didn't know that Jesus had already come now. He had died for their sins and the message had gone out. Somehow he had, he had missed all of this. And so here he is preaching only half the truth. He's only preaching half the truth. The Messiah is coming. He's not preaching that he's already come. Well, he came to the city of Ephesus. And in verse 26, we read, and he began to speak out boldly in the synagogue. That's great. But when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they knew something was wrong. I mean, it, it wasn't, could I put it this way? It wasn't totally kosher. It was only halfway kosher. They took him aside and they explained to him the way of God more accurately. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. They didn't get up in a worship service and Priscilla say, now, wait a minute, I'm going to teach you. No, in the privacy, perhaps of their own home, they took him aside and they explained to him the word of God more clearly. She didn't preach to him. We don't know even what her involvement was. It would just be like, like someone was, be, it was a brand new believer in the Lord, a man was, and he came to my house, and my wife and I sat down with him, and we, we both gave him an understanding of the things of the Lord. Nothing wrong with that. Women are free to speak forth God's word, but not as the public authoritative teachers in the church service. Would you look at 1 Corinthians 14? This is a fascinating portion of scripture, verse 33. This comes right at the, at the end of Paul's discussion on prophecy and tongues and so forth, and, and uh, a lot of problems in the church at Corinth, a lot of problems. I think it was the most problematic church in, in all of the New Testament. Everywhere you turn, there was a problem. And Paul says this in verse 33, for God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. 
Now, I believe that there ought to be a period there. In the Greek language, they did not put periods or commas. Our English translators have put it there, but it really makes the most sense to just stop right there. The next phrase, as in all the churches of the saints, really goes along with verse 34. Watch this. Let's, let's look at it that way, because it wouldn't make sense. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. You, you don't need that. If God is uh, not a God of confusion, but of peace, it's, it's superfluous to simply say, as in all the churches of the saints. It, it makes sense. You don't need to add that. It really fits better to be read this way. As in all the churches of the saints, let the women keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak but let them subject themselves just as the law also says. Paul is giving a very basic principle, not for Corinth, and I say that because some say, oh, it was just a problem in Corinth. That's, that's the problem. And some say, oh, it was just a problem at Ephesus, but it's not a general rule. No, it is a general rule. And verse 34 says, or verse 33, as in all the churches of the saints, I want the women to keep silent. What's he saying? Women in the church at Corinth were to keep silent. This is a much stronger word than the one in First Timothy about silence. Paul had to say this because they were not quiet. They were usurping the place of male leadership in the worship service. Let me show you what I mean. Back up to verse 26. Now, believe it or not, there are some churches who think that, that Paul is commending them and they ought to follow this in their worship service. Nothing could be further from the truth. He is condemning them for carrying on like this. What is the outcome then, brethren? When you assemble, each one has a psalm, has a teaching, has a revelation, has a tongue. And I might add, the, the uh, part of the problem here at, Car- at Corinth was that there were some legitimate tongues and there were some false tongues going on. And he said, and an interpretation that all things be done for edification. Do you get the picture? You walked into that church assembly and there were some people who said, thus saith the Lord in one corner. Others were singing to the Lord and someone was saying, ah, I have a prophecy. Others were speaking a false tongue. Others were speaking perhaps a legitimate tongue, perhaps not. Others were getting up and prophesying. Others were, were singing more thing. It was confusion, and that's why Paul says, let everything be done for edification, and that's not edifying. That is noise. Apparently mixed in with this were, were women who just would not keep silent. They just had to be heard, and they had to be heard in the sense of doing all kinds of, of things like this. So Paul says, let the women keep silent in the churches. Just keep quiet. Once again, not in the sense that she can't ever whisper anything to her husband, perhaps, and, uh, and say something, but she is not to be a part of the service that would be so confusing and so distracting. And he says, let them subject themselves just as the law says. This is an eternal truth. The law of God says this. What law? The Old Testament law in Genesis, speaking of the relationship of Adam and Eve, but the law says this. Apparently, these women were blurting out questions during the preaching time. Why do I say that? Look at verse 35. And if they desire to learn anything, implication being that they didn't really desire to learn, they, were just, they just wanted to hear themselves speak, let them ask their own husbands at home. I mean, if they really want to know something, stop interrupting the preacher and ask your husband at home. But if they desire to learn anything, let them ask their own husbands at home, for it is improper for a woman to speak in church. You know what the word improper means? It means ugly, deformed. Charles Hodge, in his excellent commentary on 1 Corinthians, states this, it is anything which excites disgust. So Paul says it's, it's just disgusting for a woman to speak in church in that sense. Understand, 
What he's saying, in that sense of blurting out questions, singing a song during the, the message, getting up and saying, I have a question, I have a revelation, I have a prophetic word from the Lord, thus saith the Lord. Paul says, that's disgusting. That, that's, that's nauseating for women to carry on like that. Because that violates the, what the law says about her God-given function. And so what he's saying is, if you are women, if you are really interested in learning, ask your husbands at home. Now, I don't think that's a, that's a general principle that a woman can never ask a question in church. There are times where, where I call for questions. That we have done that on Wednesday nights especially, where after I finish a portion of Scripture, I'll say, do you have questions? That's certainly appropriate. But it would not be appropriate if during the message you got up and said, I don't understand this. And yes, in fact, I remember preaching one time and uh, way in the back, I'm not positive, but I think I saw a woman's hand go up. And you know what I did? I panicked. No, I didn't. I just went right on. I just ignored it. And I, and I was thinking while I was preaching, I uh, wonder what I'm going to do if she gets up. But you see, that would be what Paul would say is disgraceful. That ought not to be. It ought not to be, in fact, from a man doing that as, as well, but especially a woman. Because uh, if a woman does that, she, she many times will do that uh, in this context in Corinthians just to be heard, just to challenge the preacher, just to make him look small and her look, look better and be knowledgeable. So don't take this to say that Paul is saying that a woman can never ask a question in church. In that sense, it would be inappropriate for her to to get up and and blurt out a question while the teaching is going on. And verse 36 kind of sums it up when he says this. Was it from you that the word of God went forth, or has it come to you only? You know what he's saying here? Are you a law unto yourself? Are you the only ones who are exempt from obeying this? Did you write the word of God? Were you the ones who wrote this? Or did it just come to you and you have the the right to do whatever you want? Are you the final authority? And so he's really saying, get back to the practice that that I'm laying down. Back to 1 Timothy 2. I want you to understand that Paul is consistent with the rest of Scripture when he forbids the church at Ephesus from allowing women to be teachers in the public assembly. Notice the expression at the beginning of verse 12. This is very important. Paul says, but I do not allow. Do you see that? I do not allow or I forbid. This term means to allow someone to do something they desire to do. It is not that Paul is just saying, I don't want you ever to get up there. And they're saying, why would he say that? We don't want to get up there. No, the thought is this. There are women who wanted to get up and teach. Do you think that problem is still with us? You better believe it's still with us. Maybe it's not a a crying uh, need here at Lakeside, but in the evangelical community, it's uh, it's a desire on the part of women. I know a woman who calls herself a pastor of a church. In fact, she and her husband, on their literature, it says, pastors. They pastor this church. They say, I have books of women in my library who would love to be teaching. In fact, they probably do teach in their own church. I was at a well-known Bible conference once in which uh, after I was to leave, there was a woman preacher. There was a, a teacher at Moody who left because his wife became a leader in the movement towards women preachers. I've attended seminars in which uh, Christian seminars, in which women came to learn so they could return to their own uh, church and teach men biblical doctrine. And in Genesis, and I think this this will give you the biblical basis of it, in Genesis chapter 3, the fall of man, we'll look look at this more in detail next 
week as far as Adam and Eve and their relationship. But after the fall of man, the curse was this. To the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth. In pain, you shall bring forth children. Now watch this. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. There are so many interpretations of this. You know what desire doesn't mean? It doesn't mean that she is going to be physically attracted to him. Listen, that's no curse, right? Right, men? You can amen me on that, men. It is no curse to have your wife being physically attracted to you. Now, that's obviously not what he meant. And that was true before the fall. I'm surprised I don't hear amens on that. Go home and think about that. But, but anyway, what does desire mean? It certainly doesn't mean now she's going to really be madly in love with him and want him physically. Adam and Eve had that before the fall. And like I said, that is no curse. That is a blessing. That is not a curse. But there's a parallel passage, Genesis 4-7. If you just look over in your Bibles or turn the page over, and you'll see what the word desire really means in the Hebrew. God is saying to Cain, if you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Now watch this. Its desire is for you, but you must master it. The thought is this. It wants to master you. Cain, sin is there wanting to control and rule over you. That is the exact Hebrew word that your desire shall be for your husband. So from what are we saying? From the fall until now, the struggle between men and women is between a woman trying to master a man and a man fighting that by uh, being a dictator and domineering and dominating his wife or women in general. That's been the struggle of men and women. That's the struggle In many homes, a woman wanting to control her husband and a husband fighting back and wanting to dominate and dictate over his wife. That's the struggle in the church. You have women who are not content with the role of being a learner and being involved in using their spiritual gifts, perhaps even teaching with other women, but no, they want to lead. And so that's the thought there, that the desire is for you to control him just like sin was crouching at the door wanting to control Cain. Notice also in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 12. Notice the next phrase. Or exercise authority over a man. Some have said that this word means to exercise abusive authority over men. So what they're saying is this. If the woman doesn't exercise abusive authority, then it's all right. As long, the question is how she leads and how she teaches rather than her teaching. But the latest and and the most recent and and most extensive scholarship dealing with this term concludes that that is not the meaning of the word. Abusive is not part of this word. It simply means to take authority. It's not the issue of how she does it. It is the issue of that she does it at all. It is not the question of how she teaches. It is the question that she should not teach at all. That's the issue. And there are some who would say, well, look, if the leadership of a church allows a woman to teach, then it's all right. In fact, I just read this week and doing some research on this, one well-known female Bible teacher says this. Every time she gets up to speak in a mixed audience, she says uh, words to this effect, the leadership has asked me to come here and share my spiritual gifts. Well, that doesn't make it all right because the leadership has done that. That just compounds the problem. No, the issue is, is really that she should not be teaching at all, whether the leadership has given it to her or not, or whether she has usurped that authority. In fact, if the thought here was abusive authority, it would refer to men as well as women. The issue is not abusive authority. The issue is authority, period. 
So we just wanted to clear that up. Now, this raises one final question. And this is a question I've heard from people, and so I want to deal with it. What about women missionaries? What about women missionaries? There are more women on the mission field than men. I don't have any statistics on that, but I think that'd probably be valid. What about women missionaries? What if there isn't a male missionary to lead and teach the worship service? Is it all right for her to do it? Well, let me say this, and I want to say this as compassionately as I possibly can. God's word is to be obeyed, whether it's in a local church in the United States or whether it's in a local church in Asia or Africa or South America. I don't think because a woman is on the mission field that that would give her the freedom to disregard a a biblical principle. And the argument goes like this. People would counteract that argument by saying, but wait a minute. There are so few male leaders. Uh, Somebody has to do it. Well, let me just counter that by saying, if there there was a need for male leadership, and there is, certainly, it certainly was in Paul's day. I mean, if there was ever a need, it was in Paul's day, at the beginning of the the instituting of the church. There There has never been a greater need than having male leaders than there was in the first century in Paul's day when you had many, many new believers and unqualified men who led or could lead. There weren't many male leaders at that time, and yet Paul still didn't permit women to teach men. In fact, the whole problem at the church of Ephesus is because they had rotten elders. If there was ever a time Paul was going to say, well, it's all right, we just don't have enough men to go around, so women, it's all right to do it. This would have been the time to say that. But he didn't say that. In fact, he said in the strongest language not to do that. There is always a shortage of male leadership. And I've said this before. Might as well say it again. If women were allowed to be elders, especially at our church, we would have no shortage of leadership. We have godly women in this church. And if some men were as godly as their wives, we wouldn't have a problem with having a shortage of leadership. But that still doesn't justify us to say, well, let's have women pastors. Elizabeth Elliot, and I found this quote this week. The wife of the man who was martyred, Jim Elliot, out in the mission field. Her husband, along with a number of others, were killed, and she was the only one left who knew the Bible and the Aka language. Nobody else. What should she do? If there was ever a time where you would think somebody would say, I'm just going to get up and I'll be the preacher... It was that time. But she didn't preach to the congregation. Instead, you know what she did? Let me read to you in her own words what she said in the February 1983 edition of Moody Monthly. I quote, Women have been given spiritual gifts in the church just as men have, but those gifts are to be used within God's framework of order. In marriage, the husband represents Christ and the wife represents the church. She is created to be a responder. She is not to bear authority in the church or in the home. So women's ministries must be under the authority of the men God has put over them. Women are not to usurp that authority because the men stand in the place of Christ. Therefore, when women are unwilling to submit and be in that place of subjection, they are out of order. They are disobedient to God. I'm hesitant to accept women who teach adult Bible classes on a regular basis. It seems to me it would be much better for a man to do that. If a woman is doing it because she says no man will, I think she's out of order. Often men will will not do it because women will. 
Then they are both being disobedient. But if women refused to do it, men would be found who could and would. From the very first day after my husband was killed by the Orcas, I started to teach men because I was quite literally the only person who had a Bible. She writes in parentheses, we didn't as yet have a translation in their language. There was no doubt in my mind that I had to teach them. I looked at it as a temporary expediency. My job was to work myself out of a job and encourage the men to take over. It was their responsibility to run the church and not mine. Now watch this. I coached them on a private, individual basis for their Sunday sermons, and they did the preaching. I could have preached a better sermon, but that wasn't the point. The most important thing was that they should take responsibility in the church. Women should tactfully remind men that responsibility finally rests with them. God is going to hold men accountable for what goes on in the home and in the church. To me, the question of equality is odious. I wish it were never introduced at all in the church or the home. I believe all women are called to be spiritual mothers. By that, I mean prepared to give their lives for the life of the world, to be available to do the so-called dirty jobs, the menial jobs, the jobs nobody else wants to do. A mother is a nurturer. She takes risks for the sake of her children. She is willing to bear, to carry, to be available. One obvious description of a mother's job, a mother of small children, is to be available to do whatever needs to be done. And a mother ought to be available all the time. There aren't many people in the church, let alone in the world, who are willing to do the most menial menial tasks. I could name a number of spiritual mothers who have been a great blessing in my life, who have taken an interest in me and given themselves to me and for me, women who have written to me, prayed for me, and counseled me. All Christians are called to wash feet, as it were. But I think women have a special ministry of responding to needs, because women are created to be responders. This type of service may be easier for them than it is for men. If a woman is frustrated because of limited opportunities, opportunity. She needs to pray, asking the Lord if he wants her to have some other ministry. We have to depend on the Holy Spirit to move uh, the hearts of those who are responsible. Very often, though, women's frustrations rise out of their own unwillingness to take the place of servitude. Until we are willing to do that which is least, God can't make us ruler over many things. But I wouldn't say a woman should never say anything about her desires. There is an appropriate way and time to speak to the men who make the decisions, laying the request before them, asking for their prayers, and counsel. And so writes Elizabeth Elliot. A godly woman evidences that purity and godliness by her appearance and her activity. The question is, why can't she teach? Why can't she lead? Come back and find out. Let's bow for prayer. Our Father, we thank you for the study of your word. We are grateful you've given us this time to pull some pieces together. And Lord, we just want to be consistent with the scripture. We don't want to twist it. We don't want to have it fit our own needs. We just want to be biblical. Father, we pray for our women that there would be great, great opportunities for them to minister, that they'd use their spiritual gifts, that they'd be involved in the women's ministry, that they'd be involved in in sharing the gospel, that they'd be involved in the myriads of ministries that go on here at Lakeside. Father, we pray for our elders. We pray that you'll help them to lead with compassion, godliness. And we pray that you'd even raise up more men who'd fill that that responsibility. And may, may, Lord, we just be biblical in every sense, not only what we teach, but also by what we live. We pray this, Father, in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. It does seem better to me to disciple men who can become leaders in the church than to press women into that role when the Bible makes it clear that God has other equally important roles for them. 
You've been listening to Verse by Verse and Pastor Steve Kreloff. Pastor Steve is the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Stop by some Sunday if you're in the area. The address is 1893 Sunset Point Road in Clearwater. Verse by Verse is a listener-supported ministry of Lakeside. Our web address is versebyverseradio.org. Check it out. You'll find scores of previous broadcasts available in MP3 format for free downloading or streaming. There's also information about Pastor Steve, and if you're interested, how you can help to keep these Bible classes on the air. That's versebyverseradio.org. This is Jerry Peterson. Before he prayed, Pastor Steve asked an important question. Why does the Bible say that women can't preach or are not allowed to preach? We'll consider that on the next Verse by Verse. You've been listening to Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. This program was pre-recorded. To learn more, including how to donate to this ministry, visit versebyverseradio.org. That's versebyverseradio.org. Perhaps one of the biggest obstacles that prevents us from enjoying and sharing in God's blessings from day to day is our own heart attitude. In Numbers chapter 11, the Israelites were only three days into their renewed journey when they started complaining again. And it was their complaining and their miserable heart attitude, their accusations against God that He wasn't taking